Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. My guest today is Dr. Ursula Valdez. I first met Dr. Valdez when she talked to our ABC Birding Club about her work in the Peruvian Amazon. She did her doctoral work there, studying forest falcons, and since then, she's been continuing that work, but also working on conservation and education, especially with local people in that area. She is a main force behind the Centro de Educación, Ciencia y Conservación in Tambota. In English, that's the Center for Education, Science, and Conservation. It's, in, it's located near the city of Tambota in the southeast Peruvian Amazon. It's a special place because she's worked with some local landowners to set aside a, a part of land in an area that has incredible biodiversity, but is also at high risk of deforestation and destruction of the habitat. Illegal gold mining is a big issue there. I learned a lot about that when she talked to us, and I'll learn more about it today. It's a huge issue uh, and makes you worry about where your gold came from. <laughs> when you think the shiny gold you're wearing as jewelry is uh, all wonderful, maybe it's not so all wonderful. Anyway, learned a lot about that, and I think you'll really enjoy the episode today. I'm going to make sure that I put a much more detailed than usual blog post on birdbanner.com. We got into a lot of issues that are going to be a little bit superficially covered in the podcast, and I'll try to leave a lot more details in the, in the blog episode and links to good references there that you can check out. I'll also make sure I leave on Facebook links to both her site and to the podcast blog post. So thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the Bird Banner podcast episode number 35 with Dr. Ursula Valdez. Dr. Valdez, thank you so much for being on the Bird Banner podcast. Welcome. Hi, Edward. It's a pleasure for me, too, to be here. Yes, I, I remember seeing you at our ABC meeting in, in, I think it was 2016, when Kay arranged that with you, and it was such a good talk, and I was so excited about your pro your projects in Peru and your research and work with the local people. It was just a really, really good program, so I'm excited about that and to catch up on what's happened since then. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I also have good, good memories uh, of so that. I'd like to start these, since it's a birding podcast, with sort of your birding story. Uh, you've, you're a birder. How did you get started or interested in birds and uh, become a birder? Well, I, I was a very fortunate, a fortunate uh, child. Since I was a kid, my, my, fa my family was always in adventures, going somewhere and traveling outside of the city. So I grew up in a city, but I have a lot of opportunities to go. Um, into like the countryside and especially growing up in Peru I was very lucky that I could go and travel with my parents to different wild places at least uh, my grandparents live in a, a small town at the foothills of the Andes almost into the Amazon so that was very oh. influential for me very nice and uh, yeah so, so you were exposed to nature in a general sense at a young age. Uh, were Very any of young. your were any of your family members particularly into birding, or did that that specific interest happen later? Well, my grandma was a naturalist. She uh, was educated. Uh, she lived in in a town that it was kind of like a it was in the Amazon, and uh, and since she was a kid, also she was exposed to a lot of you know wildlife animals. So she was very influential. And teaching us, and I remember going to visit her, and some of the activities that we'll do is like do insect collections, we'll mm -hmm. press leaves, and 
she's the one who uh, showed me my very first bird, which was a blue and gray tanager, which I still, like, you know, every time I, I hear or see it, it's like my grandmother voice in there. Good remembrance. So good good memories. Memory. Very yeah. nice. Very mm-hmm. nice. And then you studied uh, after, after you did your first university in Peru, did you not? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Where did I went you to study the, there? Yeah, so I went to the Universidad Nacional Agraria La Molina. That's mm-hmm. an agrarian university. Uh, probably the one that focuses a lot in life sciences and, and ecology, biology, forestry. And right. I got a degree in biology at, at that university. Mm-hmm. And then did you come straight to graduate school at the University of Washington? No, or did you actually work in between? I didn't. Yeah, no. Um, what happened is that I had an opportunity to actually do a lot of field work, which is also another influential aspect in my career path. Is that mm-hmm. I did it when while I was even while I was st- still studying uh, biology, I had the opportunity to do a lot of field field um, field work and field studies and classes that it will take me um, outdoors. So that was also another um, reason why I got really into nature and exploring in there with uh-huh. plants first and then birds. So I had the opportunity, like during my second year of college, I took a field job in which I even dropped that cor- that semester that my parents thought that was crazy. They thought that I was uh, dropping to school, but I would just took the opportunity to take a field job that it took me to Mano National Park, which oh. is one of the most amazing places in the Amazon yes, very nice. in the world. Very nice. So you, and, you took some uh, time off and studied there. That time. And it changed my life. Yeah. So that's what it was the path for me that, you know, thinking I always thought that I was going to be a biologist. I just uh, didn't really think I was going to be an ornithologist. I was more into like microbes and things. But that opportunity really took me into like knowing that I was going to be a field biologist and and then work with birds. Very Um, cool. And then after I finish uh, my degree, I work in different field projects also associated with birds and also conservation. So Uh before the University of Washington, I got a master's degree at uh, North Carolina State University. And then I had also another gap in between degrees, uh, work in Costa Rica Mm -hmm. and in Panama, also with birds and teaching. Very nice. And then the University of Washington. Yeah. Uh, and you, you studied at the UW, and you, you, was that when you did your forest falcon research? Yes, during that's your what it PhD was. work. Yes, okay. that's what it was. So I tell, I tell us about that. Yeah, so that was a, another pretty exciting uh, period of my life. I came to um, Seattle to go to grad school, but I always, even that I knew that I was coming here north, I knew that I was going to be working in the tropics and. I already have been working with Birds of Prey for my master's degree also, and I was also doing it in Peru. So mm-hmm. that was kind of like the beginning of my interest in forest falcons when I was working in my master's degree, and I was doing surveys of uh, Birds of Prey in different areas of Manu National right. uh, Park and the reserve. So the my focus for the forest falcons, first of all, these are really fascinating birds, very little known in their biology and natural history and ecology. And very secretive. So I got fascinated by them just by first listening. I was doing surveys of birds, and I could only listen and hear them. I couldn't they, they find be, them. I've only heard, I think, one species, and they can be very vocal and also impossible They to are see. very vocal, especially early in the morning and later in the day. 
Uh, and then, you know, when they're, when they're uh, during their breeding season, they're also very vocal all along the day. But not a lot of studies have been done on them. And I was very interested in the species interactions. And in the case of uh, Peru, there's uh, at least five species of forest falcons out of the seven that are distributed in the tropics and in the world. They're wow. only in the neotropics. So I did um, a very interesting study on natural history and habitat use of the species in a southeastern Peru and, and, um, and an Amazonian rainforest. Wow. So I bet that was a lot of time in the wild. It was a lot of time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the field, long months in the, in the Amazon rainforest. It's a great place in Los Amigos, uh, the field station in Los Amigos in southeast Peru. And just fascinating. These birds are actually more common than, th- than we thought they were. It's just that they are not easy to find. And, and really secretive. secretive. I mean, their nest high up in the canopy in cavities. They're super shy when it comes to you know to con- when it when they see the, see them see you. They're not going to mm-hmm. make any more noises. So I put radio gonna... transmitters to them. I was able to follow them, and I was able so to you're able to capture some and, and follow them. Yes, that way. yes, Very yes. Cool. I capture um, several of them. Do you do that with lures or or? Well, we, yeah, so we tried several things. It was a very challenging process at the beginning. After a while, it became easier. But at the beginning, we try everything. We try misnets. We try um, traps, like, you know, different falcon traps. And at the the beginning, I was trying to use um, baits that were not live because for for, uh, some practical reasons, it was hard to take, you know, live bait to the the place. And also some other things are not allowed. I mean, I cannot use wild animals to do for bait. So yeah, we try have, with... You didn't have cowbirds in European no. starlings like we can trash up here. <laughs> no, no, no. We try actually with rats. We try... I mean, first we try with robot, like mini um, remote control animals. We try okay. with like little fake animals. Nothing will right. work. I mean, the birds know. So we ended up using chickens for valchatri, valchatri traps, which are um, uh, life bait traps that they don't actually injure the, the animal that is used as a, as a bait. But they right. became really, um, really successful. But in addition, because it was not just a trap, we needed to make noises. Um, and that helped. Uh, we put like some little um, sound to the cages. Animal noises. Yeah. And... And, and it worked really well. Once we, we figured out the method, it took a while, but once we figured out the method, it was, it was real good. Still, the birds are very shy and, and not, uh, you know, they're, they're very smart. So the, as soon as they know you, they know something is happening. But so, we figured out. So you out, figured out how to catch some and you put radio yeah, trackers on them so yeah, you can follow their exactly. travels. Do forest falcons have a small territory or do they range far and wide? Uh, it depends on the species. So I studied five different species. And obviously, that some of the ranges were associated to the size of the of the bird species. So right. we range things from like you know bar forest falcons and line forest falcons that are in the range of like two hundred grams more or less. They have relatively mm-hmm. smaller territories than a large color forest falcon or a slaty back forest falcon or the buckley-ass forest falcon. But um, so in general, they have a relatively smaller uh, home ranges than other larger birds of prey. That live, for example, in North America, similar sizes of birds in North America may have like much larger uh, ranges. In the rainforest, they're like a smaller, mm-hmm. and it may be associated to the kind of resources that they're eating, 
also with like there is much more availability of um of uh, suitable territories so the so they're relatively mm -hmm. smaller than than similar size of forest raptors in here um it was it was interesting okay. to see a lot of overlap on the territories also but oh, okay so they're not they're not super no, private with the yeah, territory. They, share they the definitely edges. they share, but they will not share very kind of like their favorite places. They will not share that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, don't with the best food is so maybe the best place for nesting. Exactly. Best nesting. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. nesting places. Sure. Good. So so you studied mm -hmm. forest falcons and became passionate about that and got your yeah. PhD at the U. Right. And you're teaching so, there now, aren't you? Yeah, at, so at I'm at Utah Bothell. I started teaching at the, you know, at the main campus in Seattle. Started with a tropical ecology class, okay. but then eventually, I actually ended up working in, in all the campuses. Now I'm at Utah Bothell in an interdisciplinary mm -hmm. arts and science program um, where I'm in the environmental science division. And it's a really great program. What does that mean, yeah. interdisciplinary so arts This is and a science. program that, a lot, you know, it, it's really great. It's a, something that it's not focused in just one, um, like, mayor, if you want to call it. It's not just me. So the discipline is the idea okay. is that, you know, when you study biology and you only do biology, like, it, it's in a traditional system in which, like, there's a the biology department or there's a forestry department or there's a chemistry department. So in this right. case, we have like a range of possibilities in which students can learn from like the intersection of all those disciplines and having them an opportunity to, oh, okay. yes, they can still maintain their main interests, but then they have the opportunity to interact with other colleagues. They can interact with other faculty that provides them with tools that are going to have a much wider um, impact in their careers and also give them a much better perspective of what the real world is in which we need a lot of collaboration very cool is that specific to you uh, yeah, there's a, a lot, lot of universities, universities have that, that have an interdisciplinary uh, program that it actually in, uh, engages the students in like much wider thinking not just to I mean they still can maintain a focus but then also then open opportunities for learning, and research and inquiring in like with different aspects of, you know, what the real world is. So you do that as sort of part of your job, but I know probably mm -hmm. a true passion, but at mm -hmm. least a big part of your job is back in Peru. Tell me about the work uh -oh. you do there. Tell me about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so definitely, you know, I'm originally from Peru. So that is the one reason that I definitely love the opportunity to go back to my original country, my country of birth and my country of my heart and everything, to go back and then continue research, right. not only for personal interests, but also uh, because it's a really important part of my life, um, like not only as a, as an influence on my own interest as to learn more about the rainforest or learn more about the birds, but it's also about the, the importance right. that habitats in different parts of the world are disappearing and it's staggering. I mean, a very high rate, oh, and it's it is uh, it is, it is mean, terrible. terrible. But also, you know, I mean, the opportunity to go back to your own country is also to provide a service that you receive at some point. It's kind of right. giving back to all the opportunities that I have as a student yeah, exactly. to engage in nature and being able to learn about it, and also now being in a position that I can try to work for the conservation of it. So not only doing research, but right. as, um, another important aspect of the work that I do in Peru is that I like to um, 
provide opportunities for students that are young that they can uh, engage on uh, on mm, on research and conservation through like opportunities that I can open. Uh, not not alone, obviously, with other right. colleagues, both in Peru and, and here in the U.S. Sure. Um, I also part of my work here at the university is that I take um, a group of students through a study abroad program. The university has an exploration seminar. Oh. And then I take them and engage them also in, in activities um, that are associated to research and conservation. So, so you have this the project in, uh, is it Tambopata? Yeah, so that's the region. It's in Madre de Dios and the Tambopata, uh, in the Tambopata region. So this is in um, near uh, city right. Puerto Maldonado, which is in the heart of the Southeast Peruvian Amazon. And that is um, a project that right. I have developed. It was, in, you know, it, it has started when I worked with my uh, in my PhD, because I used to go, that's the first time I went to that place, or that region in Peru. Okay. And it just kind of motivated me to not only see the aspect of science alone, but also how to work with people in the mm-hmm. area, not only to work in finding information about birds, but also to engage in the community in the studies and also in livelihoods that they can contribute with conservation of the birds and the ecosystems, but also to improve their quality of life. So you've been working uh, at, at at the place there. Uh, and that's a yeah. place that uh, I, I know that uh, Maggie and Joe uh, Tiber are friends of mine here from Tacoma, and they have gone and uh, volunteered at that. Yeah, at that so there's uh, so we have, um, so part, in, aside to my work at the university, I'm also part of this uh, Nonprofit that we started, that it provides opportunities again to um, study birds in that area and also open the place for people who want to contribute. So volunteers or people who want to take programs with us, which um, and I mention us because we're a group of people with different backgrounds and obviously interests in birds and ecosystems and rainforests. That we provide training for people of any place in the world. Um, that they can come and join us and also volunteer in opportunities. We have monitoring programs for bird populations. We are monitoring wildlife, uh, mm-hmm. such, uh, I mean, other wildlife uh, mammals, and we're hoping to start out some insect monitoring too. In combination with activities okay. of a local family uh, that they're doing um, some sustainable agriculture and then also have land that they want to put for conservation. So that land also uses some um, activities on ecotourism that we have partnered with them mm-hmm. in order to make it this kind of alliance to work for conservation, ecotourism, and bird research, and I mean, wildlife research in general. Right. So yeah, it opens opportunities for all kinds of people who want to contribute to that. And as I mentioned again, um, uh, provide training for local students, especially we do a lot of activities for training um, young people in, in research, introducing them to research and okay. monitoring, and also at the same time, education to the community through activities for young right. kids or adults also. So you allow uh, young young students, young people in that area to work with you to acquire Absolutely. skills, to yeah. do field because research, they're... and to absolutely that's the idea so the idea is that you know to have opportunities because it's so easy when you come from another place and say okay well we're going to do conservation in this area without considering the needs of the local communities and it's so important more now more than ever to kind of actually give you know those opportunities to young people 
who they need they need uh, careers they have they need incomes they need ways to find a good level of life in the region where they are they're from it also uh, is just giving back Absolutely. and one more way to give back to your exactly. to your home country and yes. to the world really exactly. so that's super yeah. cool that is super cool i'm going to oh, be going to peru wonderful. next spring i'm doing i'm a, I'm a rotarian i'm going to be on a, right. it's not a birding trip i'm going on a, what's called a rotary, oh, rotary yeah. friendship that's exchange great. Uh, and I don't think I'll be in the Southeast. I think I'm going to be, but I'm going to be in uh, Lima and Arequipa right. and Cusco. And I think I may get, get to see Fantastic. some birds around Absolutely. there. Absolutely. You to, will. I think, I'm, I think I've, I've contacted a uh-huh. local guide out of Lima. I think I'm going to go a few days oh, early and do a little birding. And there are two or three pretty good spots yeah. around there, no, I think. Peru so is a bird, and it's a bird country. We have like about 1,800 different species of birds. I think we're second after Colombia. So definitely you're going to be in a great yeah, place. That's kind of crazy. So uh, Ursula, what, what do you have uh, going forward in your research and in your career plans? Right. So, well, I'm going to continue. Yeah, I'm going to continue with the monitoring the bird populations in Peru. That's something that it's, you know, increasing interest, especially because a lot of the habitat transformation is happening in that area. There's a lot of gold mining. Some It's an issue that people don't talk much about it, but one of the main reasons of like deforestation in this particular region of Madre de Dios is gold mining. Fortunately, a little by little, there's more interest on in it. The government is kind of putting a little bit of control. It's not a, it's not going to be a solution that is going to happen fast, but right. Help, but help at least, you know, we are trying to learn what can we do and trying to learn first, like what's happening with the populations of birds in there. And, you know, when you think about that, populations of birds are like highly threatened everywhere it just they just published an article about like you know 50 i mean almost 3 billion i saw of, that of i saw birds. that you know 30 percent exactly. reduction it's pretty, it's just pretty the, dramatic and it's actually yeah. urgent to continue learning about what's happening with the birds and then that way we could also once we know what are the happening in the different regions then also we can have better strategies for conservation i definitely want to continue that work and continue giving opportunities to people and continue working my work in Peru, doing my work in Peru. Here I'm uh, working in my campus, my campus uh, um, in the uh, University of Washington, Buffalo. We have this restore uh, wetlands. We are providing incredible opportunities for studies of birds and other wildlife in response to these changes in, in habitat. That, that place used to be like a farm, and then uh, there was scrapped from everything, and then... Um, a whole new ecosystem is in there. So trying to evaluate and monitor species of birds in those places too and, uh, you know, evaluating the different, comp- the, the composition of those species and what kind of gilts we have in there. If the raptors are returning, right. what's the proportion of migratory populations so you're, you're and so on. Do, so you're doing some... Uh, 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 maybe smaller scale uh, research in, in the local community of your yes. college and have you a big project, have you a big project yeah. in Peru? Uh, are, are you publishing uh, uh, related to your yeah, so work that in Peru? Is, uh, in the process. That's a kind of the difficult thing sometimes when you're trying to do a lot of things in different parts of the world, but yes, we're in the process where actually, uh, you know, the, the, the data in Peru were, Still, it's a, a little bit short term. We're trying to kind of accumulate a little bit more data to have like a better picture. So we have some, you know, reports, right. but we're trying to kind of accumulate a, 
a few more years of data to kind of have something much more significant. So how long have you, how long has that project been so, going on? So I mean, on the project in general with all the yeah. different components, we've been there almost for 10 years, but you know, the, the process has been pretty uh-huh. slow and uh, we're starting to mm-hmm. finally get some significant data. I think like with another couple of years, we're probably going to be able to kind of tell something else. I mean, we have some ideas about it in the composition of the species and the habitats where they are. But still, one of the problems in, in tropical studies sometimes is that while diversity is pretty high, then the density of individuals are not that high for by species. So we need a little bit more to increase our sample size to have a better assessment and right. a better idea what's happening with, with um, individual species. Is the area you're working with... A- is it incredibly unique or is it sort of representative of other local places so you can kind of um, extrapolate the information you get to well, broader areas? I would say yes and no. There are some similarities with other locations and definitely that's something that uh, we need to consider too in order to make maybe a much more comprehensive collaboration. There are several groups of people working with birds in different uh like sub-regions of this area. So that is one thing that is pretty important to mm-hmm. join effort to maybe do like a comprehensive analysis. Um, and then that can give us a better increase right. our our sense of what's happening in the region. So definitely that's in the in the table to try to kind of establish those connections with other groups. Um, the other thing in though okay. is that this is a region that is suffering intense deforestation and interest pressures more than any other regions mm. in Peru or even in other parts of the Amazon. So it requires a little bit more of like, it's kind of a relatively unique um, situation for some of those, uh, because of, for example, gold mining, what I was mentioning before. Yes. T- tell When you mm-hmm. gave your presentation to our club, the, the gold mining thing was just, it is, it was it just was shocking. shocking to me. Tell, tell us what, ha- tell us what, now this is not major no, corporate gold no, mining no. so much as is more like the exactly. mad rush to San Francisco exactly. in the 40s. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. There's a, like some big mafias and big corporations behind that. That well, yeah, One of the problems, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of the things that I talked in 2016, that haven't changed much in terms of the intensity. Actually, some of the intensity of the activity has grown in the area. And for certain, I mean, from, from 2016. However, within the recent, um, um, oh, one thing that I want to mention, and I'll back up with that, is that a lot of the activity, the gold sure. mining activity in, in this area of Peru is illegal gold mining. So there's a lot of land mm-hmm. that oh. it's not authorized, and there's a lot of exploitation of areas that are even within... The, the equivalent yes, of poaching. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you know, even within areas that are supposed to be protected. So, however, there has been a big effort of the government in the past, um, in this, this year, about, uh, it's not a, it's not a beautiful, beautiful idea, because it has involved the military and the, uh, you know, the armed forces in Peru that they have needed to go, yeah. they needed to go to this place and then pretty much take the region. There's been a lot of violence and all. But actually, that has helped oh a little bit. And there's kind of a little bit of hope to kind of like, you know, control a little bit that situation it, the dimension is too big so it's not going to change drastically and i don't think it's ever going to disappear completely but the ideas are trying to find so more alternatives for people trying to regulate the activity trying to find one of the main problems of the gold mining 
besides the habitat destruction, which is pretty drastic, it's also the fact that that uh, a lot of the illegal mining uses mercury, and and then you know once right. it's underwater and it's used. It pollutes the water, pollutes the air, and it causes a lot of problems along the ecosystem, but a lot of health problems too. So that is something right. they're trying. Ursula, I bet a lot of people think of a, a, a an old fellow with a hat and a little pan panning in a creek yes. when they think of gold no, mining. It's, it's not, not like that. that. I mean, the gold that comes from the Andes is um, very fine sediment. And it's not that you're, you know, people hardly ever find this like, you know, big pe- pebbles or something of gold. It's like very fine right. sediment. It's a sediment that they need to capture. And it, I mean, the sediments stay, you know, in the soil or in, at the bottom of the river. And then massive amount of, of um, mat- uh, materials from the bottom of the river are removed. So the transformation of landscape even is incredible, dramatic. And then also the other thing is that because of the floods, of that during the rainy season, some of the water that is coming from the Andes bringing some of this uh, gold deposits on the land. And then that way, then for that reason, then gold miners start like destroying forests to make these big pits where they can start um, getting some of the sediments. And to capture the sediment, they need to use mercury, bind it, right? And then after that, right, yeah, so they, they can, can actually, actually get, get it. it. And it's, you know, the whole operation, it puts, it's a huge hazard, a health hazard for people who are there, the kids who live in those places. And then they, yeah, after sure. that, you know, in this, then re- return it to the water. We're already seeing a lot of impacts on wildlife and in people who are not even on this, they're not even living on the mining camps. They're living in the city and they're starting to find, um, Downstream. they're starting to find sure. mercury in their tissues and the hair samples and all so it's oh, it's and then not to mention like all the social uh problems that it brings a lot of you know um crime sexual labor exploitation i mean a lot of really it's a tragedy yeah. that i wish more people will know um and they will kind of have a completely different idea that one means to have a piece of gold in your hand when you think that is kind of a symbol of so many good things right and actually it has a really, yeah. really, really dark story. Gold doesn't shine. An it's a ugly very, story, very ugly, ugly story dark behind story. it. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Ursula. Uh, how can how can people reach out to you if they want to uh, find out about yeah. possibly volunteering at your uh, program? Yeah, in, so we have Peru? a website. Uh, the website. So our organization in Peru is called the Centro de Educación Ciencia Conservación Tambopata, CCOT for short, and you can find. And I'll, yeah. put, I'll make sure I put a link yeah, to that so in the web, podcast notes and on my blog. Yeah, so it's So we have a website. And then we're going st- we're to we're starting to announce our programs for next year. We do different kind of programs that are for people from all over the world also. And then also we have a Facebook page. Yes. So they can also find us on Facebook with a C-E-C-C-O-T. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make sure I put Yeah, I'll make and sure everybody is welcome to participate in Good. our research and sustainability, sustainability and education programs. Well, I can vouch because uh, because my friends uh, uh, have just Thank spoken you. wildly positively about. It. I think they've been. I think they've been twice and <laughs> just wonderful. loved it. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I think you, you get good. You yeah. get good. Good reviews. If yeah. I don't know if Yelp has reviews, but <laughs> and we always have reviews. wonderful people. <laughs> I mean, people who come to our places are just wonderful. The contributions are just priceless. So yeah, we're very happy. 
that um, we attract that kind of people too. Very cool. Ursula, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time and I hope that your projects go well. Thank you so much. And thanks for the invitation. This is a great opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks now. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 35 with Dr. Ursula Valdez. Hope you enjoyed. Again, be sure to check out the blog post on birdbanner.com and make sure you check out Dr. Valdez's Facebook page, CECCOT at Facebook, and I'll make sure I leave links to both of those things in the podcast notes. Until next time, good birding, good day.